and gentlemen, this is take two with Mr. Bob Buss. Bob has some cool stuff to say, some cool stories to tell uh, about his time in Milwaukee and some of the awesome opportunities he's had with the different bands he's been a part of. Um, it really is truly fascinating. Uh, thank you again to Bob for being with us. Um, and remember, you need to get online, get on social media, get on um, man, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is that you like to use. Make sure you're liking the podcast, sharing it. Make sure you're leaving a five-star review. Give us a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. And uh, keep enjoying the podcast. Uh, coming out real quick here, you're going to be on Etsy with some mugs and T-shirts and other goodies uh, that you can get after. Uh, if you want some of that stuff, make sure you're make sure you're getting on Etsy. Look up the Gird Up store and find some gear that you'd like to have. Make sure you're supporting the podcast. Remember, everything you buy goes back to making this podcast self-supporting. Uh, which means we can do a better job getting it out there for you, a better job getting you uh, good content. So make sure you're doing that, and enjoy this interview with Mr. Bob Buss. Hello and welcome to the Gird Up Podcast. The call to Gird Up is an ancient way of telling a man to prepare himself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers, brothers in Christ, working hard to become the men that God has called us to be. I am your host, Charlie Ungemach. I'm a teacher, a coach, music director, and a man of God, myself working toward the goal of, like David, being a man after God's own heart. We're happy you could join us. Now it's time to roll up our sleeves, to gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. All right, folks, we are back with Mr. Bob Buss. Now, if you remember listening last week, Bob Buss is quite the musician. Um, he's also got a long history of uh, ministry and, and history with Milwaukee and the state of Wisconsin and all kinds of cool stuff. You can, you can go back and listen to it. I'm not going to rehash it all. Um, but uh, we want to talk a little bit more about ministry today and some of the direct, different directions and actually intro one of the upcoming guests a little bit um, here. So we're going to tag oh, team yeah. this a little bit. Uh, but we're going to talk about Koine, if you guys are familiar with the church band Koine. Um, but uh, Bob, where, 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 does the, where does this... So let's start with your ministry. Okay. Um, so leaving Dr. Martin Luther College. Well, so you ended up at Martin Luther College. No, no. I, I graduated from Do- Mar- Martin Luther College. Oh, but you while started I was, Dr. Martin. Yeah. When he I, lost while, his doctorate. The man lost his doctorate while yeah, I was I there. Yeah, I your joke. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I, am, I amalgamated the two student bodies uh, as part of the student senate, uh, which was a larger task than amalgamating the actual academics. Uh, coincidentally, I also was one of three people that amalgamated our libraries, and one of them was on Dewey Decimal System, and one of them was on Library of Congress, and that was quite a project. I've got a bunch of those. I, it's like half of my personal library is old Northwestern College books. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I had quite a book collection that came from that project, um, and uh, a lot of them, unfortunately, burned in that house fire. Oh. Um, and then another interesting thing was I did give a complete set of Luther's works to Jason Ewart, or Ewert, or I don't know how he pronounces it. <laughs> he was the second guitarist in Good Mustard, and he's the pastor who was recently ousted from the Synod at Hope Oconomowoc. <laughs> um, but yeah, I gave him my complete set of Luther's never works. trust a guitar player. Yeah. I played in his <laughs> band for, for a little while in at, at the end of college at a cause. I practiced him. I think played two shows with his band Underdog. 
And then the other band that actually recorded was, uh, so Eric Pelzel, as in Dave Pelzel, the math prof in Noam's son. Uh, Eric taught um, Mandarin Chinese at WLC for quite a while. He's living on the East Coast now and doing a PhD yeah. uh, after going through the SEM. And he has a solo project that he started in high school. You will find some of these recordings, I think, on my YouTube channel as well. He always recorded his little boy. And uh, he was just sort of this shadow figure to the good mustard scene, I guess, that was going on in our whole group. And uh, he had a band once Good Mustard started playing swing. And uh, my my college band before, during college, I remember I joined Good Mustard after college, like literally the week after they recruited me to play with them. Um, my college band was with Eric Landwehr, who was assigned down to St. Lucia and just took a call north to Miami, I think, in that area. <laughs> and then uh, Marty Berg, who is Lutheran Vanguard, sousaphone player of some note, uh, who is now <laughs> a permanent substitute teacher at Fox Valley Lutheran High School. And then a guy out in Washington who went to New Ulm with us, Eric Rodmeyer. So we had this band in college called uh, Lethargic Einstein. <laughs> And that, that was sort of the like a comedic approach. So Eric, the Landwehr brothers, Ryan Landwehr, his brother is a pastor. Um, there's a funny story about him on the way back to his assignment from the seminary, it being trapped in a, uh, some sort of storm and spending the night in a hotel lobby doing karaoke or something like that. And, you know, like walking on the bar. And the next morning, he's in the office of the seminary president explaining to him that he's not going to receive a call right away because they don't think he has much confidence. (laughs) (laughs) So the Landwehr brothers had this band in high school that Pastor Steinberg will tell you all about (laughs) called Pure Static with a K. Pure Static. Static. S-T-A-T-I-K. Largely because Eric Landwehr spells his name with a K at the end, I think. I'm not sure. But Marty and I were really into pure static. Uh, Skippy, Eric Landwehr, is two years older than us, and we just wanted to start this crazy, entertaining band. Um, And we would do things because Marty was a music major, and so was Eric, whom we called Krusty. Uh, (laughs) And uh, he didn't look like Krusty the Clown. Skippy and Krusty. Well, because they were both Eric's. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Lethargic Einstein, Lucas Baim, who's the art teacher at St. Croix, made us... should have called each other peanut butter or something like that. Something, yeah. Skippy and Krusty. So Lucas Baim, who's the uh, art teacher at St. Croix Lutheran High School, made us T-shirts, which are probably of some, you know, Wells memorabilia note, (laughs) (laughs) with this uh, smiley face with a mustache and, like, this large brain on top that looked like Albert Einstein in in only a Lucas-can-make-it sort of way. And the thought bubble coming off of his head said B equals M-E squared. So it was Bob, Marty, Eric, Eric. Ah, uh, cool. Yeah, they were really cool T-shirts. And we put out tapes, just like uh, Pure Static had put out tapes. And uh, one of my favorite quotes was, I think it was Paul Steinberg who said, yeah, it was really fun to watch the development of Pure Static in in high school because by the end they actually played musical instruments. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One of the the guys, Pete, who was in Pure Static, is still playing music in the Fox Valley. He's a very accomplished musician. Uh, Plays in a a cover band that plays uh, Vic Ferrari is the name of their band. And it's a really big band. And I really love Pure Static. It was... 
it's ridiculous. It uh, literally what it was is before jazz ensemble after high school, there was like a lag time of about two hours for some reason between the end of the school day and their practices. And they would go over across the street to the grocery store and buy Dr. Pepper and jelly donuts and press record in the land basement where there were just random musical instruments. And they would make all these noises into a recorder and release tapes. And so, you know, you have all these albums and like one of them is called Live Without an Audience and all this stuff. And there's all these ridiculous things. Um, there's this song, you know, where they cover Millie Vanilli. And uh, they said that we're going to sing a, a song just like Millie and Vanilli used to do back in the day. And it's like 12 seconds of silence because they got caught lip syncing everything. <laughs> and just all this weird joke stuff. So we started Lethargic Einstein. And then after that broke up because Skippy got his call to St. Lucia. Uh, Eric Pelzel asked Marty and I to be his rhythm section. So Little Boy all of a sudden had this band, which was called the Easy Listening Revolution. And uh, we played a couple of shows out. And uh, early in Good Mustard, we kind of started this fake record label. Uh, I guess that's where the mythological bands kind of started from. Benj created this whole backstory that goes into one of the albums that was kind of our lost tapes recordings released last year about this guy that never existed named Felix Collipimple in the Mutt Rock Messiahs <laughs> and th- this other band by headed by this guy named Raymond Ezwipe and all this like all these crazy bands that never existed and um, you know we created fake recordings of all these people and said oh this is our whole record label and uh, Benj would call up when we were booking gigs as Good Mustard and be like yeah this is Bob Fox at Seal Plug Records I've got a hot new band on my label named Good Mustard and they're looking to tour in your area have you got any openings available on uh, the second week of September or whatever it might be and uh, (laughs) this is how we booked our shows that's awesome before the internet you know just well it wasn't before the internet it was the late 90s it really hadn't taken off that much yet and so this is how we booked our shows. And uh, we would just tour in dire straits. Like I remember going on tour up and down the Rocky Mountains from as far north as Missoula, Montana, all the way down to uh, Colorado Springs and playing out there in Des Moines, Iowa. And we'd always play on the way there and back in New Ulm. Having recently graduated from there, we could always fill a bar full of, full of people. Um, we once... Uh, released a live album which was we had a four track recorder we took on tour with us and so there's this live album that i i re-released we made 75 handmade copies of the cd and sold it um so that's on the youtube channel as well but um we had this whole crazy um record label full of things and the band we were really destitute i remember leaving for this tour in february of 2000 and it was 16 cents in my pocket and we would go to the seminary where Benj's dad, John Lorenz, we called him Jumpin' Johnny because, you know, he he really moved from MLS, making it the great thing that it was in the late 80s or the 80s and into the early 90s. And they called him to New Ulm to be the vice president once they were working on amalgamation. He was the last president of DMLC and one of the first six vice presidents of MLC. And then they called him to the seminary. And then he started a, a seminary in uh, Ukraine. And then eventually he got a job. I, I don't know if my timeline is right here uh, at the Senate office. And then he took a uh, call to start a seminary in uh, Southeast Asia. 
And so we called him Jumpin' Johnny because he's jumping all over the planet. And so when he was at the SEM, there was this room, or maybe it's still there, where there's all this like day-old bakery and bread. And so we referred to it as the manna from heaven room. And so in Good Mustard, we, had, we went on tour for three and a half weeks with 36 loaves of bread. And like we would spend like $4 a day on like the, all these little 35-cent packages of lunch meat and some cheese. And we had one squeeze bottle of Miracle Whip. And you had to have four slices of bread for every slice of cheese and every slice of meat that you put on your sandwich. And so <laughs> we, we had to eat all 36 loaves of bread on the three-and-a-half-week tour. And we wore suits, like I said. And we always slept in the van. We slept on the Continental Divide on my birthday uh, on February 10th, like the, it was negative 18 that night. And there, there are all of these audio cassette tape handheld recorder recordings of our tour diaries. They're hilarious <laughs> that I would love to. Benj has them all as if they're incriminating evidence, but they're really <laughs> funny to listen to. Um, and we would, and that actually is a tradition that I'm told came from Lutheran Vanguard. Those guys would make recordings of all That's their genius. Yeah. And it's just every stupid thing they did, you know, like Pete Reese is, you know, writing this song while we're sleeping on a dam in the middle of Nebraska one night about how, you know, his, I don't know, his stomach and digestive tract health isn't feeling too well after eating 36 loaves of white bread and stuff like this and the bologna that was cheapest, you know, so he's ring, singing this song about his ring of fire and all of this. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I won't go any further. But um, and the other thing was we wore suits and, and Benj had this tradition where he would not change his suit. He would not take it off for any reason the entire tour. And so we were this like dirty, crusty band in suits. And uh, his wife, Mo, was a tutor at prep in 2000. We got back from tour and walked into the bottom stairwell of that dorm that's, I think, furthest east on the campus. And we got to the bottom of the stairwell and, and it's like 1.30 in the morning. And she goes from the top of steps where their tutor's apartment was. She goes, stop right there, boys. I can smell you all the way up here and I'm going to bring clothes out to you and I don't care if they're minor benches but you're going to take those suits off in the van and come up wearing these clothes and we're going to put those in garbage bags then you're going to come up here one at a time and shower and then put on new clothes that I will give you and I don't care whose they are but you're not coming in here wearing those suits <laughs> and so when we first started coin a <laughs> bench tried that <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> but, you know, we were married at, at this point. Or, or I got I I got married about three or four months into Koine shortly after that house fire. Um, I think I might be one of maybe just a handful of weddings that the band ever played. Um, and it, it's an, that was an amazing performance. Um, I did not play. So it was <laughs> it was all without a drummer. <laughs> and so like the recording, oh, cool. the recording of Lord, when your glory, I shall see which I refuse to play drums on out of just respect for that old school, you know, yeah. there shall be no drums in church. I was very conscious of that, that old school Wells mentality in the back of my mind. Yeah. Um, and so they played that, that, uh, that song at our wedding and it was absolutely amazing. Um, and the two Yaroslav Vita hymns, you know, uh, yeah, yeah it, it was it was remarkable. But anyway, so when we first started the band, we didn't know what to call the band and all this. You know, it was just the church band, which is why they're, you know, 
subtitle is still Koine, the church band. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know what to call the band. And, you know, and because of the good mustard tradition with the suits and the non-showering, <laughs> uh, all of a sudden, as a result of a joke, Ski, Pastor Ski, who ran the Sunday evening service at St. Marcus from 2003 to whenever he took a call out of there, probably 2009. Something like that, Somewhere, yeah. then maybe. Um, <laughs> he just announced us with the joke title, Smells Like Esau. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was people are like, well, you're really going to call this? Smells like Esau. <laughs> smells like Esau. <laughs> like, Musty. <no. laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, and I was like, well, you know, I guess, you know, we're, we're taking these old hymns and just updating the musical language into the language of the people. People don't really go to, you know, New Alm necessarily and take organ at the same rate they do anymore, you know, and. A few years after that, they lifted the piano restriction on teacher candidates. And so we're just updating it into the language of the people. Why don't we just name the band Coin A? And everyone's like, I like that. And I was like, well, I said, well, it was supposed to be an ironic suggestion because Coin A is not the English language of the people. And most people won't know what that means. <laughs> but it's stuck. And anyone who knows it, it is a beautiful name for the band. So that's the story of how that came about. Yeah, it's very, it's a very, uh, it's a very appropriate name for the band yeah and so so the ridiculous thing here is that um a lot of my bands (laughs) don't have titles that are in english if you've noticed i don't know why (laughs) i've always been worried about having a band name that was that was already taken by another band and the 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 strange irony here is that when they first started making their website apparently there's a band in italy it's kind of a rock and metal sounding band that's named coin a so this is why their website is coinamusic.com and not some other variation on that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So um, playing in church obviously is different than playing playing gigs in yeah. all these bars all over the place. A little bit different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and like I kind of started on there. I was always conscious of like how loud am I playing? You know, is this going to offend people? How much how much flash am I throwing into the worship? That's you know you know. You don't want to have any sort of boastful, you know, I was going to play like I did in masonry. And so it really became, that was the approach to that minimalist uh, setup and, you know, really just playing a rock solid foundation of what I was doing. And there's some fun stuff. If you, if you listen to the first couple coin a records, there, there are some, some rhythms and some, some beats there that are pretty complex, but you won't notice them unless you're really listening to them, which was kind of the fun of it. It's yeah. all about the finesse. It's a know? different challenge, yeah. It was. And so where I did get a chance to really kind of open up a little bit um, was, so I, I taught at Hope High School. And uh, Ken Daniel, uh, who is an amazing voice, he he was, yeah. The, yeah. So he was the voice the of, gift. of um, um, State Farm, the original, and like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's the, him? That's Ken Daniel's voice. And someone at Hope High School, I don't know, maybe it was my wife who found these, had like a hundred of these little teddy bears wearing a State Farm t-shirt, and it said, like a good nay bear, State Farm is there. And I I would leave the the bears in Ken's classroom (laughs) while I was teaching there. You know, we'd leave them outside his door and stuff. That's awesome. So uh, Ken Daniel is really an amazing mentor to people, and particularly to... um, this very gifted young man, Harold Similton. Mm-hmm. And so Harold was a student while I was 
there and his his brother Hezekiah Hezi was in my class and Hezi was a handful but the Simonson brothers are amazing and uh, Harold is just a remarkable individual like I don't know he was he was being flown out to New York he claimed while we started the band that became Forgiven at St. Marcus um, because he was having label contract talks with some major label on the East Coast I don't know whatever became of that, but he did have a solo album and all this kind of stuff that came out. But um, so Harold was Ken's piano player for um, his gospel choir at Hope, which I don't know why I'm drawing a blank right now, but it was it was an amazing young choir. Um, and I played drums with them once or twice, you know, and it just it didn't click quite at first. You know, the minimal setup really threw them off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's it's not you know like over the top enough for for the right. urban gospel sound. Yeah, and so uh, eventually, Pastor Jeske roped me into playing for the gospel choir. Once I was no longer at Saloa, he didn't really want to pull me away from Saloa. Uh, when we first started Koine, we offered Saloa the the band, and Pastor Westendorf said, "Well, no, we've got our own group that we're bringing in," and it was a very gifted piano player. Um, Kurt Cowling, but he, they, they really didn't form a band around it and it didn't really take off. And so we had Koine going on at St. Marcus, but Jeske didn't really want to pull me too many directions at once while I was working elsewhere. And so eventually it became that I was roped into St. Marcus. And, um, and then Ken left Hope High School and ended up in Milwaukee Lutheran, where he's at yet today. But he kind of ran the gospel co- or junior choir for a time as like an elective, you know, like a little bonus thing at St. Marcus. And then we ended up kind of starting this. I didn't want to call it Coin B, but Coin A really started as <laughs> Coin A started as Ski wanting to reach the school family. So it was supposed to be this like black gospel sound. That, oh yeah, and that's not what it is. No, and and right. so in my mind at first, and Pete Reese was really into that too, because Pete like loves being a bass player. He loves reggae. He loves soul, old school funk, like James Jamerson. It was his hero as a bass player next to, I don't know, like John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin and stuff like that. Like he really loved that sound, and um, and so we, Pete and I, were only in when Benj had us play. Because it was going to be gospel and we were, it was going to get down and dirty and it was going to be amazing to play this style of music that Good Mustard had not really forayed into. And it was great what we ended up doing and creating this formula for translating the hymns, but it really didn't spin off into a gospel direction. And so eventually they ended up starting this third time service. You know, there's the morning church and then there was evening church. So we started this two o'clock in the afternoon Sunday church service with Pastor Steinberg to try to get school families to come to church. And so it started off as, you know, just Mrs. Steinberg, Rebecca Steinberg and myself. And we had a bass player who was a parent who was, he he was a phenomenal bass player. And um, that worked out kind of, sort of, but it just still didn't have that chemistry, that gospel sound. Right, yeah. And then they found Ken and Ken brought Harold in. (sighs) Harold, yeah. And we started playing things like that Ken had been doing with his choir. A few YouTube videos of the Soul Children of Chicago, like this amazing mass children's choir doing these gospel songs. We would do these things, and Ken had pieces that he had written, and we had um, 
the bass player from Zabaeth when that church was around was Carlos Whiting, who oddly enough was the the so back when Zabaeth was still operating and it was kind of starting to shrink, um, and they had a relationship with Saloa where kids from their church would go to Saloa, and for that reason, there was always a member of Zabaeth who was on Saloa's school board, and Carlos was that guy, uh-huh. <laughs> and and so Carlos um, ended up playing bass with us and it was just there was the chemistry and and it just went incredibly well we ended up opening up for um oh what's her name tamla man wow yeah in madison uh for one that was kind of our flash in the pan almost famous yeah again uh tamla man it was uh take me take me to the king i think was the name of the album yeah that's the album yeah yeah and uh, you know her her husband was there, David Mann, Mr. Brown from Meet the Browns. and you know. I didn't know that. She's married to the Mr. Brown? She's Cora on the Browns. I didn't even... Oh, I never put that connection together. Oh, yeah. I'm familiar with the album, but I didn't never put that That's together. That's her. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and this, and this really amazing young solo acoustic guitar gospel guy who teaches apparently gospel courses at some university somewhere named Jonathan McReynolds. And it was a really, really cool show to play. Um, and that was that was kind of the high point of that wave, riding that wave. And it just got to a point again where my wife was like, you know, you guys are playing these shows out. You know, we've got four kids now. You know, you're, you know, you're the Wizard of Oz at St. Marcus. You know, anyone who opens the curtain notices that you, yep. John Bakke, the principal at the, at the time, said, you know, there's all these different ministries going on at St. Marcus and there's one cog in the middle of them and that's you. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's good. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it ended up being that. And the other thing that I had going on at St. Marcus at the time was I had always wanted to start a drum line. The whole time I was at Saloa, I dreamt of doing this because um, I marched in drum lines and you know, I, I loved this idea and I really took off into that idea and, one summer, I just decided, you know, I'm going to go back to my roots and go tour with the Pioneer Drum and Bugle Corps again. And uh, I did as a snare tech for a year. And uh, it was great. We had uh, so another legend that came out of that drum line was this Japanese snare drummer named Kenji Okubo. And um, they would bring five snare drummers from Japan over to March in Pio every year. And then there was always five American kids. So Kenji and I were the snare techs and he'd be teaching them in Japanese and I'd be teaching them in English. And <laughs> it was great to work with Kenji for a summer. And uh, he was just amazing. He was cut from the cadets of Bergen County only because he was too short for the, 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 the visual oh, of, of yeah, the snare yeah, line. Yeah. It's the only reason he got cut. Um, it was crazy. You know, back when I was in drum corps, I had a spot uh, in the Cavaliers in 91 because Kevin Lepper uh, was their pit instructor in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, would come up. He had a connection with Wisco and Terry Troyden would bring him in to do a clinic with us. And Kevin's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you should come down to audition for Cavies and all this. And Kevin was amazing. He wrote a couple of pieces for our drum line. We had a really great drum line at Wisco at that point. It was kind of legendary. This was the band, the drum line that before I was a freshman, had won several titles at NBA and stuff like that. And it, it was a big band um, back then. And um, I don't know, for whatever reason, we didn't tour much when I was in high school. We didn't tour at all, really. Uh, that was all kind of scaling back. But we were incredibly good. Um, 
by my junior year in high school, Terry was already saying, this is the best jazz band I've ever had since I've been here since 1970. And, and then senior year, he said, I shouldn't have said that last year because this is the best jazz band I've ever <laughs> had here while I was here. And that was, that was another high watermark. If you go to Wisco, my name's on the wall from my senior year. I got the, the Sousa Award and the Armstrong Award in one year. And Terry felt bad, you know, because no, never before has anyone ever gotten both awards. And I was like, oh, man, this is weird. So my name is on the wall. One of them, it says Robert, and the other one, it says Bob. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so a drumline was a really big deal to me. I really wanted to start a drumline. So it's slow. It's like, I want to start a drumline. I want to start a drumline. And you know, things just didn't pan out there. And I went to Hope High School. And I said, oh, yeah. One of the things in the interview there was like, oh, yeah, I totally want to start a high school drumline. We can we can do some stuff. And Lance Meyer, Lance. <laughs> Coach 22. <laughs> 22. <laughs> 22, baby. <laughs> he, uh, he was totally into it. He took the basketball team all the way to state that year. Like, they were, they were phenomenal. You know, he'd have those guys in there practicing basketball at 5.30 in the morning. These guys are showing up from all over the city. I don't know what time they must have been leaving their houses to get there. You know, and there was momentum, and then things just kind of went weird that school year. And uh, ended up over at St. Marcus the next year. And uh, one of the big sells was I was going to start a drumline. And the other thing I did it's kind of related to that was starting. Uh, I had a we had electives at St. Marcus at that point, so the kids can choose from about twenty different classes, and you kind of went on a rotation every quarter. You were in a different elective, and one of them was African hand drumming. And then Darlene Jones, who was one of the singers in Forgiven, who also sings in a, a quartet over there called Distinctly Different. Um, Carlos and I played bass and drums with them for a long time with Jeff Crumbine, and. Um, and then, oh man, he, Jeff's a whole other story. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff would have me play in downtown at like the Civic Center. Like there was this, oh, the weirdest one was ever. It was like the, the I don't know what it was, some Rotary Club or something like that dinner where they're all dressed like it's Alice in Wonderland. It's like psychedelic lighting everywhere, <laughs> and we're playing jazz in the lobby for like the mayor and all these Fortune 500 CEOs. It was bizarre. Just, <laughs> Carlos and I are just playing the jazz. Yep. All right, satin down. Here we go. <laughs> and so, um, Darlene Jones is really into dance. She does like the Red Hot ballroom teaches tap and stuff like that and she's also now the the junior choir director and the gospel choir and i think just last week or so maybe the week before on facebook they put out a joint like junior choir and gospel choir thing where one of the kids in middle school is a soloist it just knocks it out of the park um cool and so we started this african drumming class and i would be teaching these you know rhythms we'd layer rhythms and a lot of it started with this um oh i can't um what is the name of this video? There is, um, there is no sound without rhythm or something. I can't remember the name of this this video. I'm feeling really dumb. I'll have to put a link to this later when I <laughs> think of it. But I would do that, and it would talk about how this is, you know, cut straight to the heart of an entire continent and to a lot of people, and that resonated with me from a very young age. You know, this rhythm thing, and so we started this African hand drumming course and she would tie it with her dancers. And we did a number of performances at St. Marcus for the first three or four years. And then electives got cut and you know, there was yeah, all kinds of change. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, one thing is inevitable and constant and that's change. Yeah. And so, um, but the drumline kind of went on for a while and that drumline got pretty big. At one point I had like 40 kids in the drumline at St. Marcus 
you know, and it was all just basics. You know, we did basic, you know, notation and reading, but we would take songs that they knew off the radio and I would just arrange them. So like we had this arrangement to teach me how to Dougie and, you know, and we did this, uh, what was that Macklemore song? Um, thrift store shopper. We we did a version of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so we had like, you know, six bass drums and like seven different tenor players. And like the crazy part was some of the kids were so small, we had to give them triples, yep. <laughs> like three, yep, yep. three tenor toms because they couldn't carry the set of quads. And so I had like these two different tenor sections with different parts. And I could never sell cymbals, though, to to people as like as like, no, the cymbals are like the punctuation. Like yeah. the, they're, they're the, and sometimes the it's the most fun too. I try. I showed them videos of cymbal lines. Of, yeah. yeah. Like I was following Santa Clara's cymbal line and taking videos and showing these the, kids. <laughs> Santa Clara's cymbal line always does the best social media. <laughs> they're great. And then well, when I taught for Pio that summer, um, Jen was our cymbal instructor, and she's just a beast. She teaches music at a charter school in Chicago, but she lives to be the greatest cymbal instructor of all time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was, it was, I couldn't get kids to do everyone. I want to be on the snare drum. And I'd be like, okay, not everyone needs to play snare drum in life. Like, we need, <laughs> I don't want to have just snare drums, but we had a good time, you know. Uh, we did that. It was all based upon a, a grant from one donor, Bruce. Um, Career. 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 Bruce yeah. Career. He, he was the Jolly Good Soda man. So back in the day in Milwaukee, you, Jolly Good Soda was was all about. Probably the only funeral to have a drum line was uh, the drum line played Bruce Career's funeral cool. way up in, uh, what's the name of that town? Just north on 43. Um, I can't remember the name of it. It's out in the middle of nowhere. East or west of the interstate there, but uh, yeah, we traveled there in the middle of the night to have the drumline play his funeral, and there's lots of tears, you know. And we're playing the Dougie, (laughs) (laughs) but Bruce loved it, you know. Yeah, Um, you know, one of the most interesting moments was when St. Marcus was trying to expand its campus into a second campus, which they ended up buying the old charter school, which had been a public natatorium on Center Street, and converting that. But right across the street from that is the old Malcolm X. Uh, Academy, which when I first moved to Milwaukee with the guys from Good Mustard and then eventually Coin A, I took a job as a Milwaukee Public Schools permanent substitute teacher, a long range substitute. And the first place I was assigned was Malcolm X Academy. And it closed some years after that. It was a disaster. It was a really rough school. Um, I know some people who came out of there, you know, just from a year or two before that, Tyron Webb came out of there. And uh, she was, she's great, you know. Uh, she's got a daughter who's like 4.0 college student now, I believe. I hope so. Uh, that's what I'm told, and she's, she ought to be. <laughs> but um, she went there. And but two this, very successful young daughters at Wisco, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. The one is going on to college and is a 4.0, yeah. She's a phenomenal baritone player and trombone player. That girl could play the trombone. Awesome. Anyway. So anyway, Malcolm X kind of went downhill pretty quickly, you know, from 99 to when they closed it somewhere in the early 2000s. And I took a job there. And all of a sudden I find myself in like 2000, what was that, 14 or 15. So when when I would have summer drumline at St. Marcus during summer school as an elective, we would go on road trips. We always called them in drum corps. You know, the drum line would just march down the street and yeah. practice marching and playing at the same time. No need to be standing in the arc all the time and just standing still. 
And so we would go on these road trips where we would just go marching down the street through the neighborhood. People loved us. Uh, if there's too much traffic, we'd go through the alley and have all the dogs barking at us. <laughs> but I would always march around Malcolm X just because, you know, hey, I taught there, you know, and I love I love that neighborhood. My, the school that had been at that physical campus before, my grandmother and my great-grandmother went to, Robert Fulton. Um, and it was just weird to me that there it sits empty. And eventually then Henry Tyson had the idea of we wanted to buy the the whole block campus and transform it into the St. Marcus North campus. And, you know, there, there was a lot of backing to that and it created kind of a um, political spitting contest that I wasn't exactly comfortable with, but it was the direction a lot of things were going. And yeah. so they had our drumline lead this parade of people around Malcolm X, all because I made this joke that, you know, like, uh, when I started marching the kids around there in summer drumline, I said, well, yeah, we've been marching around it every day for seven days. And if we go one more day and bring trumpets with us next time, the building's going to fall over. <laughs> and so that that's, you know, that was a lot of, you know, how that drumline went. And it went on and on and on. And, you know, that last year I was at St. Marcus, you know, the electives had been all but crowded out. I was substitute teaching every day for a couple hours a day, running you know, director of operations for the whole middle school, running a number of things for the entire school, playing in Forgiven on Sunday worship, you know, assisting with so many other things. I was the Skyward administrator and uh, running um, a lot of the logistics for the lunch program and was the liaison to the vendor for our lunch program and all that. And once again, it was like, what's going to get crowded out? And, and it ended up being because there were 18 basketball teams. No one was available to do the drum line or eligible in some cases. And there just, there really wasn't that much going on. We had to, we had to kind of like get one together for an event they did for a groundbreaking ceremony, but it, it was tough because it had all been just washed over in the tides of change around there. Yeah. So that was rough, you know, and I would really like to see that start up again someday, but the call came and it was one of those, like I said, you know, Wizard of Oz um, and um, a lot of personal changes in the family made it where like, OK, you know, my eldest child is now 12 years old and is, you know, we're living in River West, which is, yeah, yeah. you know, it was yeah. uh, April of that year. There was a prostitute got knifed and died in the alley behind our house, you know, and there's shootings all the times and. You know, I, the whole time I lived there, the first week I moved there, I, I locked my car doors and I learned not to do that. Yeah, because um, then windows get broken. Yeah. And so, you know, if, if you leave change in your car, that's your own fault, you know, and sometimes you get up in the morning, you get in your car and it smells like some bum slept in it all night, but at least he had a warm spot to sleep and I hope his life goes better for him and he makes better decisions <laughs> right. in the future. <laughs> right, right. And so I took the call out to Menominee and, and here I sit two years later itching to do music, but. I'm sitting in this beautiful house that's three times the size of my house in River West <laughs> with about 10 times as much yard. And my yeah. wife and kids and the dog are happy. And I love the fact that I can walk two blocks down the hill to school. And, you know, UW Stout's right there, but they don't host a drum course show anymore like they used to. I wish they did. Yeah. Well, it's hard to draw a crowd from. It is. Up there in the middle of nowhere. There used to be a big show up there. There was a drum corps, you know, Wausau Story, and there was there was a corps out of Eau Claire back when you know every every little nook and cranny had drum corps in the Midwest. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, the nearest one there's there's a there's a guy in the church up there who's a, a trumpet player who auditioned for the Troopers way back in the seventies. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> and uh, troopers. Yeah. And then there's another guy um, who um, was um, in Vanguard, is a trumpet legend, uh, Troy Winder. And so uh, Troy and Grant are always trying to talk me into like, we should do something. And uh, I don't know, it's just going to start with, we're going to go over to the cities or to Mankato to see the drum corps show. And we always joke that we're going to join Minnesota Brass one year or something like that <laughs> when, when my kids are all grown and out of the house. Yeah. Uh, and maybe, you know, I can end that recurring nightmare of, you know, I had that position in cavies, but because I failed Gilbert's geometry class two semesters in a row, my mother made me go to summer school and pulled me out of cavies and oh, out man. of pioneer the year that they won division three world championships. Um, I had this recurring nightmare for years that I would be running down the tunnel in like Kansas city Chiefs stadium or the one in Buffalo where finals was another year. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I couldn't find my uniform always in the dream, you know, and I find my uniform, the whole core had left and I'm running with my drum and I'd be running down the tunnel and they would just be going on. And they said, you can't go on the field now. You'd get a penalty. And so there's this recurring nightmare. And it's probably a lot of the reason why I play a bazillion notes in some of the bands that I've done. <laughs> just trying to prove to myself. Yeah, you are like <laughs> able to play in this extreme amount of notes and, yeah. you know, and all that. But I don't know. Yeah. Well, I actually I think about that a little bit too. Just like I had a spot with the uh, Madison Scouts. Yeah. And I could have marched with the Madison Scouts in 2010 when they were they made that kind of like oomph and comeback, and they had the yep. new uniforms and everything. And yep. I had a chance. I decided I was going to go to MLC uh, and play football instead, which turned out to be like a phenomenal life decision. Um, but at the same time, like I don't I don't play anymore. I chops are out of shape. No, you know, don't really get the chance. So. Yep, you only get those opportunities once. I tell that to kids all the time too. Now, like you can you can do this, that, or whatever. Like you can get your you can get started on your future summer after senior year, in between high school or whatever, if you really want to. But you got another sixty, seventy years to do that. You don't have another sixty or seventy years to do these couple of things you can only do in high school and college. So it's true. Yeah, yeah. And so now, like Jason Melrose and I, <laughs> up up in the North Woods, there we're just like we're not going on tour. We're, we're, we're just in it to make tunes yeah, and that's it. And with the magic of the interwebs, we may be able to even write long distance and just minimize how many times we need to travel the half hour, right. 45 yeah. minutes. And maybe we will rope some in some bass player in, you know, one of my dreams in leaving Milwaukee that I left behind was one of my favorite math rock bands in Milwaukee is this band named Managra that was around and Koine's sound man, Dana was the bass player in that band. And, um, and so I always wanted to play with Dana. And so it goes back into that nineties, like indie rock thing. Once again, there was this band from Milwaukee that no one's heard of. There's two songs obscurely out there on YouTube by this band called the Kiwi Walls. And it's the just, Kiwi Walls. yeah, yeah, totally. And it's just this beautiful lush sound. It's, it's like this, like, like the band Fugazi, you know, that came out of, DC hardcore just was this let's mix reggae like turning the mix upside down putting the bass on top of the guitars and have these repetitive rhythms that just kind of wash in a lot of reverb and the Kiwi Walls did that without like the hard edge to it and it's this beautiful like indie pop sound that's it's it's like being washed in this beautiful wave of sound and uh Dana and I had talked about that the the guy from the Kiwi Walls one of the members of that band, 
bartends down at the um, County Clare, I, I think. <laughs> and uh, and Dana and I were always going to try to start a band a little bit like that. So maybe through the beauty of you know the internet, uh, Jason and I can pull Dana up to play bass with us or something like that and kind of fulfill a couple of dreams all at once. You know, with this old if man a, rock and roll club. If he's a, if he's a bartender at County Clare, you got to do you got to do like a cover of the Rocky Road to Dublin or something like that, oh and just make goodness. it crazy. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you for your time, Bob. This has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. <laughs> it really, truly has been. Um, so, thank you again. God's blessings on your ministry. I uh, hope you get back into you get more opportunities to do some music and. Yeah, we'll see. I, I've done a little bit of music up at where I'm at now in church. You know, it's kind of a new idea to people. Uh, so we have this praise band that plays once in a while <laughs> in church. And, you know, we have a young, vibrant pastor who's straight out of Camp Phillip. <laughs> and, we should uh, get t-shirts straight out of Camp Phillip. We should, It's yeah. distinct. <laughs> well, an- another bizarre history of mine is, so, so Pastor Tom Klusmeyer started Camp Phillip in about 1982 and three. And uh, he took the call directly from my family's home congregation, which was Gloria Day Bethesda on, on, on Capitol Drive. And he was my pastor when I was like three, four, five years old. And uh, I, Pastor Schultz up in Menominee and I went there and we took my seventh and eighth graders there as our big catechism um, end of you know course retreat to really solidify them and have them do the ropes course and Bible studies with Pastor Tom and all this stuff. And I'm sitting there talking to him, and he's like, wow, yeah, Gloria Day. Like, I haven't thought about that in a while, and I learned a lot about ministry there. And I said, you know, I did too. <laughs> you know, my grandfather was president of that congregation for 40-plus years, and uh, it was it was challenging. And they were big supporters of me going to New Ulm, and so I never looked back on leaving music behind because music has always found a way into my life. Yeah. And so that's Pastor Schultz and I hooking up via Camp Philip connection. You know, I went to Camp Philip every year as a kid before I started marching drum corps. Um, we'll see where that goes. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Cue the music. Thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the content we put out today. If you want to hear more content like this, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify. You'll find us. It's a big blue picture with a white cross. It's the Gird Up logo right there. Make sure you're following us on social media. On Instagram, you can find me as Bibles, Beards, and Creatine. It's, I know it's a goofy name, but it's a good one. I enjoy it. You can find us on Facebook as the Gird Up Podcast. And if you still email, you can send any emails you want to send to coachungamach at gmail.com. Thank you to all the people that make this podcast possible. Thank you to Pippa, the awesome hosting site that I get to use. Thank you to Seth Palmeyer for our awesome logos and podcast art. Um, and thank you to my roommate for putting up with me, my friends and family for encouraging me. Go Gird Up, guys. Be the man that God created you to be. I hope you have a good one. <laughs>